So, Birdo, I thought we would answer some patron emails. What do you say? Let's do it. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist, and I'm also a professor. My name is Umberto Casagna, and I manufacture Grogu-shaped masks. Masks? Masks? How do you say masks? Sam from South Dakota says, can you give some insight into how to bounce back from failure? I'm a first-year student in a master's counseling program. I just took my first exam, and I failed it. I feel like it's not normalized enough in our culture, making it very devastating when it happens. Failure can provide amazing moments of learning and growth, and I would love to hear your experience and thoughts on this. Also, Kaz from Connecticut, she wrote in, I recently failed one of my career exams. As someone who has gone through lots of school and is also a clinician, how do you deal with failure? What steps do you go through with either yourself or a client in order to accept and rise above failures. Birdo, how do you rise above failures? Have you ever failed? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, so there's a couple sides to this. One side is we do live in a society, in a universe, that is pretty unforgiving, and it is a, it, it, there's a big funnel, and it gets very, very narrow, and some people are at the very narrow part, but most people are not. And what I mean by that is, um, you know, there's not a lot of famous actors, relatively speaking. There's 7 billion people in this world, and there's, you know, every, the number of famous actors you can count in just a few hands. And there's not a lot of the top professor at this university, and there's not a lot of the Nobel laureates and stuff. So we do live in a society where at some point you will either jump through all the right hoops and eventually land in one of those very minuscule number of positions, be it an Olympian athlete or, again, a Nobel Prize winner or the top writer. for some, But it's hard, and it requires dedication and luck and perseverance. And those people fail. And Exactly. But then the flip side is that if you are an all-or-nothing person in that as soon as you fail, this is a disaster, it's fairly well a guarantee that you are going to struggle because... Um, that's not how any of these people get to where they go. They fail constantly. You know, they, they, they struggle day in and day out and have failure after failure after failure that they learn from and, and get better. I failed a ton. What's I, a, like a critical failure, like a turning point failure? Okay, so when I was um, 32, I guess, uh, I basically hit this point of, maximum depression <laughs> and I was not aware and so I it's just before I met you yeah and so I completely burnt out on my work on my profession and I spiraled out of control with the spending and I all almost basically ruined myself and I was luckily able to pull out of that nosedive but um, I could have looked at that and been like oh wow I just I just almost ruined everything that I had built up, so I'm done, right? Um, but luckily, uh, I was, you know, I because I a, had some examples in my life of people that didn't manage to pull off the the nosedive, uh, including my my father. I, I was, yeah, that's weird. Like, yeah, that if you had made some internal choices, you you would have gone down a road just like your father. Exactly. And so, meaning that your 
uh, your career is over. Exactly. You're dependent on other people. Yeah, like I would have moved in back with my mom or something. <laughs> right. And and the thing is, I again, I, I this is partially my brain, but a lot of it is also luck and circumstance. But I was able to say, no, I'm not going to do that. And I'm going to be okay. One of the big things that was that I had to be okay with is not be embarrassed. Mm. And this is so hard for a narcissist and for a, a high achiever to not be embarrassed by the failure and the lack of accomplishment. Because we are. like, it, It's one thing if you didn't get first place. That's already kind of... But like, what if you got last place? Right. Is that the end of your life? Like, what's going to happen? So for me to just be like, oh my gosh, I just effed up my life. Like, what happened? And you know what I did, which I really think helped me, is I was very open about it. And I would tell my friends liberally. But that was a choice you made. Like, your impulse was to not do that. Right. Because it was embarrassing. You made made an internal choice based on what? Oh, it was this. My father was embarrassed. Oh. And he, because so he, you know, my, my dad was a doctor. Uh, he was a, a psychiatrist, a child psychiatrist, which meant he was a medical doctor, had specialized in psychiatry, and then double specialized in child psychiatry. Very highly, way more educated than Practiced I Practiced in New York City. In Columbia University. Columbia University. Then when he went to some Maimonides hospital there. It's like, the guy was accomplished. And so when he when we moved back to Colombia, he was very highly respected within the family, you know, kind of professionally at first, and just in the community. You know, he's a doctor. He's like everyone would defer to him. Yeah, how old would like thirty years old? In his thirties, yeah, yeah, thirty five. You're yeah. a doctor. You're in charge of things. Yeah. You're at and a hospital. So one of the anyway. So one of the things that I think happened to him is as he started struggling in life, he didn't want to just confront that and it was sort of embarrassing to his community to be like i'm failing here so he like withdrew from so he would just kind of pretend nothing was wrong Mm. and sort of pretend that like it's anything kind of that seems bad was everyone else's fault Mm. and he was still fine and he had he had it all under control How, how did he precisely lose his job i'll never know all the details i do know some of it oh, which that's is right. that he you, he didn't see eye to eye with the administration but i think there's probably more to it than like that. he got fired for some yeah and it wasn't one place it was multiple places possibly for um substance yeah maybe prescription yeah. drug yeah i also do now this part i also know is also true there are a lot of really unethical shady things that would go on in a lot of those places and he had worked in New York hospitals where the standards were probably a bit higher and he was probably trying to hold it to a higher standard. And then he was probably uncompromising and not very, uh, let's say, politically correct. and Diplomatic. Diplomatic and all these things. Anyways, a combination of factors. Who knows? But the key but because is... because of his shame. And that... So, A, he couldn't like accept it within, within himself, let alone within his community. And B, you need to in order to move forward. Absolutely. He wouldn't accept help except on his terms, meaning lend me money. But he, if someone's like, hey, I have a job for it, like he, and then he wouldn't take a job that was beneath him, uh, which was every job. Yeah. I saw that and I saw the destruction of his career and essentially our life because then the reason I moved to this country is because we no longer had money. Oh, I didn't, I didn't I know that. I had to move with my mom because 
I thought your mom wanted you to move. Well, my mom wanted it, but my dad would have never want, wanted that. Never would have allowed it. Never. And I didn't Except, know that. You know, he he really saw that that was the better choice for me. And he did love me and, and wanted to do what was right for me. But he couldn't house you anymore. <laughs> I mean, I was housed at my grandma's house. That part was okay, but we had no money. The house was falling into disrepair massively. Like, a uh, roof collapsed in my grandparents' room. They had to move out of that room. It was never fixed. Oh, my God. Like, stuff like that. And uh, we had So you just kind of no clo- closed the door in that room? and Yeah. We had got- no money. Yeah. And so, 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 you know, I saw that. And the lesson I took from it was, I'm never going to be too good for a job. Yeah. <laughs> so when I got into that state, I told myself... I'm going to go work at McDonald's if I need to. I'm going to go back to work wherever. Yeah. I'm not. Well, and because you're on the other side of this trying to plead with him, like, just get a job yeah, anywhere. Exactly. And he's like, no, no, no. And you're falling into that spot and you're having this temptation of, of pride and right. of shame. And you're like, oh, in the moment where you're like, oh, I get it. This is this is the beginning. Yeah. This is this what is happened to my starts. dad. I saw, it really was cinematic. I saw these two paths. And I saw, oh, I see. That's where this one heads. And it was such a visceral fear of that path that I knew there was no chance in hell I would go down that path. Yeah, that's really, that's really commendable. I, I have a similar plan for the future that if I ever have dementia, Alzheimer's or something, that I will not do what I see some of my relatives doing, which is to uh, act tough, to not ask for help, to act like it's not really happening, to, oh, to yeah. not get assessed. Because I feel like a lot of people will do that. You know, they'll sure. they'll start noticing memory problems and cognitive problems, yeah. and they just sort of denial, <laughs> kind of denial, but also like make jokes about it, but not really do anything about it. Yeah, you know, when you start to have those symptoms, one, you got to get freaking assessed you got to start measuring that over time and seeing like what's happening and maybe there's things you can do to slow the progression and the other thing is is you got to make some adjustments yeah you got to and because i uh my uncle who who actually died early in his 60s of early dementia um i i he lived in california so i didn't i didn't see the step by step but i did see him occasionally and and see the progression and my impression of what, and he's a good guy, but my impression of what he did was kind of a typical one, which is just r- try harder to function. Grant and Barrett. Yeah, and and he was a he was a very uh, accomplished architect, and he w- ended up getting fired from his job because yeah. his bosses were like, um, yeah. and you know that must have been months before that happened, right? Yeah. There must have been like a a slow degradation of his work and then like trying to help him out and that doesn't work. And then you're, you know, you're, yeah. you're talking with him yeah. or like what's going on. And then eventually he just got, he got fired. Yeah. And I'm like, that's mortifying to me yeah. to, to put other people in that position because of my progressive condition. Like, so I've told myself that if there's any sign one, I'm going to get assessed yeah. like um, every couple months, I'm going to have cognitive testing Two, I'm going to tell everyone, I'm 95%, and in another couple of years, I might be 85%. And here's what we're going to expect: I'm going to start forgetting things. I'm going to, I'm not, I'm not, I might not even know who you are. And so, um, you got to start taking over because, yeah. and I don't want that. I'm a very independent person, of course, yeah. But I would hate it 
Yeah. If I put Stacy, for example, in the position where she's like, "Oh boy," like I've I've got a great point, I've got to yeah. tell him, uh, Kirk, you can't drive anymore. Yeah, you know, right. I don't want to put anyone in that position, yeah. and so I'm going to come out and say, as soon as this happens, I'm no longer driving. As yeah. soon as this happens, I can no longer be in charge of the bank account. Yeah. As soon as this happens, um, you can't let me be on the podcast anymore because God knows what I'm going to say. You know, like I, I, I'm, yeah. I'm going to incorporate that because I do not want to put you, other do people Do you know that, that we already did the same exact episode <laughs> and you said the same thing? <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes you, you say some genuinely good jokes. <laughs> um, so, yeah, failure. Um, yeah, uh, to Sam and Kaz. It's definitely not talked about enough. And it's definitely not talked about in popular media today, right? Like, no one on Instagram is posting about their failures. Right. (laughs) It's pretty rare. Yeah. But I'll tell you, for me and my failures, there are three that I want to identify. One is is that I failed my driving test, my first driving test. (laughs) Um, I actually failed my first two written tests. driver's license tests. Are you serious? That's funny. Well, the written ones. The reason was because they they had recently passed this law that you could get your permit before you were cuz you know in Washington state you, at least back then you could get your permit at 15 and a half. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which means permit meaning that you could start driving with parental right. oversight. I used to I I had one of those, yeah. And but they said you could get your permit early if you passed the test. Oh. And so I tried a couple times without studying. Oh, I see. You just thought you could wing it. <laughs> yeah, which is so dumb. It's like... Um, it's not that kind of test. <laughs> yeah, you got to study. You know, like there's a, there's certain things like, okay, you got to be X amount of feet from the curb when you park, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, and then I took the driving test and, and I failed it. And um, I still blame the... Uh, the uh, the instructor or yeah the, instructor the evaluator because so we're on a we're in um uh like uh, renton issaquah you know by liberty high school anyway i'm driving up this road and so i'm, I'm showing berto like with my hands and so i'm driving this way and there are parked cars on the, on the right yeah and he says turn right up there into that residential area and so it's a one, it's two lane road, you know, one lane yeah. going one way, one lane going the other way. And there are parked cars parallel parked to my right. And he says, turn right. So I, I turn right, you know, signal, slow down, turn right. And then at the end, he says, I'm knocking off like a, like 10 out of 100 points because of reckless driving. What? You know, and I'm like, what do you mean? What I do? He's like, well, you didn't check your blind spot. And I'm like, my blind spot, that I was on a one, it was on a two lane, you know, it was only yeah. one lane going our direction. Why would I check a blind spot? They were just parked cars. He said, well, a parked car could have pulled out. Okay. That's stupid. Okay. If a parked car pulled out as I was turning and ran into me, yeah. like that's on them. Like the parking, the parking area isn't a lane. Yeah. You know, you can't drive in the parking area. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, and, and there were, if there weren't any parked cars, maybe, you know, maybe a car was sort of cheating by getting into the parking, but there were actual parked cars. Also reckless driving. Well, I don't know if he said reckless driving, but it was like, it was a a huge, cause you know, not checking your blind spot. Like that's going to be a huge amount of points you're going to miss. But anyway, so I failed that. 
But my the main failure, and then a second failure uh, that I want to talk about, and then my third I want to talk about my main failure. My, my second failure is I failed to monetize this podcast for seven years. Ah, <laughs> sure. I, for seven plus years, every week, almost every day, thought about how do I make money being a podcaster? And I worked at it. And I did all sorts of things. And you were there with me every step of the way. You did some things for that. You know, you would, you would build a website. Right, and, you know, we right. would. I thought, I mean, it was on my mind. You know, the podcast has always been this creative baby of mine ever since the beginning. Like, it, when I have a moment to think for 13 plus years, like, half the things I think about are the podcast. Okay, what, how can I make better content? Right. How can I get better equipment? How can I have better guests? How can I da-da-da? You know, I'm always like, okay, what, what do I need to do to make this thing better and better and better? Which, by the way, I fully loving doing the podcast, but I never thought it was going to be something that you could monetize. <laughs> right, and I didn't know, but right. I always had a vision from the very beginning that it would be, it would be money. It would make yeah. some money, and then I could dedicate more time to it. You right. Know? I remember when you would start saying that, like on the air, like you know, become a patron because that will help us make more episodes. Yeah. I always had this queasy feeling, like, yeah, when is that going to happen? <laughs> right. Well, and you remember, you know, for the first seven years, we would ask people to donate. Yeah. And you know, it was just through PayPal. Right. And some people would, but it was very rare. Sure. You know, it was it's not a system that you can easily Right. It's not like yeah. Patreon, right? And so I was trying you know, I did all sorts of things. I, I created my own uh continuing education program. Oh, I remember that, yeah. Yeah, I tried to make our episodes into continuing ed credits for clinicians and that didn't no one hardly anyone signed up for it. Mm. And I wonder if I did it now, if if it would be different. But and before anyone gets their hopes up, I probably won't ever do it because it it is a royal pain in the butt um, for a lot of reasons. It 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 would make total sense for the clinicians out there to listen, particularly to the you know the highly clinical episodes, yeah, uh, to get continuing ed credits from it. But um, well, actually, if anyone out there knows how to streamline that, you mm -hmm. can take a percentage if you if you can manage that for us. You know, so contact me <laughs> if, you, <laughs> if you know it because it's you got to get certified. You have to you have to send certificates. You know, it's an official thing, right? That, that's yeah. recognized by the state. You know, right. you you provide these certificates to the state and say I did X amount of hours and continue it anyway. But for imagine seven years of your life, every week, almost every day thinking how do i tweak that what what is this podcast doing how are they managing right. to you know monetize how do i get a sponsor ooh someone emailed you know just day after day after day of failure and <laughs> failure and failure and yeah. failure and so you failure. gave up right seven years and there was no guarantee if you know if you told me well you're failing now but it'll it'll work one day then that would help right there was Who would tell you that? <laughs> there was no indication it was ever going right. to turn a corner because in the vast majority of podcasts they never managed to mo right. monetize right. much. You know what I mean? And so, and you can imagine by the seventh year of me showing up to record, like as I always told you, I'm like I'm not doing this for the money. I just like doing it, right? You know, and I did too. <laughs> yeah. You know, and and but the quality of the podcast pre you know monetization. 
uh, mainly through Patreon, the, it wasn't a very high quality podcast. Right. <laughs> uh, it was very because random. Very because I was working, yeah. you know, two and a half jobs. Yeah, yeah uh, totally. You know, I was a professor, <laughs> as a therapist, a supervisor, and a band. You know, mm-hmm. I, I was doing all these other things. I I couldn't justify the time, no. and so anyway, but I stuck with it, and I I just kept at it and kept honing my skills and kept tweaking this and trying this and innovating that and experimenting with this, you know, a big part of our success in the past year has been me doing these reaction videos. And that was just one of a thousand experiments, little (laughs) innovations. Like, well, let's try this. Let's try that. You know, the continuing ed innovation. And that's important to understand that. Yes. It seems like, like luck, like all you luck, but that is what they say, right? Uh, it's the the luck when luck is when preparation meets up op, the opportunity. In right. other words, or, you or were you, in the process of trying so many different things. Yeah, that's or, one of the ones you try. Yeah, another way to for me anyway is luck is, um, th- you know, trying a thousand things and two of them worked. Yeah, exactly. You know? It's like I, I don't know. If, I don't know. If You're a lucky. venture capitalist. <laughs> yeah, and, and so, um, I just. You know, I just said, one, I like it. So even if I fail for the rest of my life, that's okay. But yeah. I don't want to fail. I want it to work. And I believe. And I think it was that. It's just I believe. And that belief kept me going to innovate. You know, the belief wasn't like, I believe right. I don't need to innovate. Yeah. Right. It was, I believe that I will figure out. There's, I'll you know, discover the key. I'll, yeah. I'll, you know, I'll find the magic door into Moria and we'll, we'll make it through, you know, the, but the biggest failure that I think is, is so like out of a book of, of like how to get over failures is I was fired from my first job as a therapist, right? Eight weeks into being a therapist. So I, you know, I'm in graduate school I go to academic classes for a year. I start my internship in my second year. And I am gung-ho. Mm-hmm. I'm 25 years old. I'm desperate, you know, as all interns are, to to prove that I can do this thing. To Your do chosen it. profession. Yeah. Spending tens of thousands of dollars. This isn't like you went, got a job at... Pizza Hut. You know, Pizza Hut. Yeah. You lost it. No. Yeah. This is like the rest of my life. This is right. the first the first client of the rest of my life. I want to do right by the clients. I want to do right by the supervisor. I want to do right by by classmates, by my professors, by my program, by society. I, you know, everything is on the line. I'm I'm choosing a career for the first time in my life. I'm putting so much effort into it. I'm trying so hard, blood, sweat, and tears. And and I think I'm kind of okay in my first eight weeks. And then one day, my supervisor pulls me into his office, and he gives me a piece of paper, double sided, ten different reasons why. I'm being fired. Ten different reasons why I'm a terrible therapist. Wow. Ten different reasons why I'm essentially like a bad person, <laughs> and I'll never succeed. Oh man! And there's something wrong <laughs> with my head. Like there's something right. wrong with the way I, my personality. Essentially, there's something wrong with the way I think. And just to break down one of the bullet points, and I so wish I still had this letter, but it's burnt. Part of it's burnt in my brain. Was rewinding the clock four weeks. And remember, this is eight weeks into my internship. Yeah. <laughs> and he probably wrote the letter six weeks into my internship. <laughs> so you re- you rewind the clock back four weeks, and he sits down in supervision. This is supposed to be your mentor. 
someone who cares about you, someone right. who advocates for you. He asked me a question, and I, I never felt safe around him. I, I literally had to meditate before going into supervision with him because he was. I had such a visceral fight or flight reaction just Ooh. just being in his presence. But I just figured that must be me. I must be. Yeah. I'm. There's something wrong. You know, when you study to be a therapist, you're trained to like assume it's you first and the other person second. Right. You know what I mean? And so. Right. I was always like, it's me, it's my, it's not, it's nothing to do with him. It's my fault. I've got issues, you know? Yeah. And he asked me this question. Matter of fact, it's like, okay, if you have a client who is currently addicted to alcohol, what do you do? And I, you know, this is a very, you know, therapy 101 question. So I, you know, I'd, I'd learned and I said, well, I've learned that you're not supposed to treat them. You're supposed to refer them to a treatment program or to, AA to get sober and then you can be, then you're able to work with them cuz you know you can't really work with someone who's actively drinking. And then I said, "But, you know, I've also heard that sometimes you can work with someone who has a problem. Uh, it just kind of depends on the situation." I it's some it was some some answer like that. And he looked at me and he said, "Interesting." And he didn't say anything. Really? And I just thought well, it must have been a good enough answer. This is your guide and mentor. This is my supervisor. Yeah. You know, this is someone who's supposed to tell me what to do. Yeah. The first line of, no, you're doing it wrong. You know what I mean? And so I give him my answer. He says nothing. He doesn't say good or bad. I didn't know did I he, could ask him. Did you he know? say the word interesting? Something along Something those lines. Like. It was just like a, a non-committal mm, response. Curious. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I just thought, well, I guess that's fine, you know? And... He, one of the paragraphs in this letter firing me was, you know, Kirk Honda has a, an unethical approach to oh working with people with substance abuse because he <laughs> will, he'll, he'll work with them even though they're still using. This so. intern who answered one question from me yeah, two weeks into his thing. And basically parroted what I was taught, you know, because unethical. How am, I, how am I supposed to know? I, you know, I, I just started, you know, if that I don't know so something, dumb. you're supposed to tell me. Right. That's why I'm here. Oh I'm a student. And the other nine bullet points were the similar. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. Um, like one of the bullet points was people at this agency are uncomfortable around him. I was shy. Yeah. I was terrified. Yeah. Yeah. 25, I've always been kind of shy in situations like that. I was quiet. And one of the bullet points was people were uncomfortable around me. I'm the new guy. <laughs> Everyone else has been there for years. Yeah. And they're all uncomfortable around me yeah. because I'm quiet. <laughs> Be but I'm the new guy. <laughs> right. And I'm shy. So <laughs> how is that my it's fault? your fault. Yeah. Anyway. Oh, so, my God. <laughs> so, but I'm fired. And... He, of anyone, you know, um, is probably like just two other people, other professors, but really him. You, you could you could make it a good argument. I'm, I'm guessing I would have thought this time. He would be the only person on this planet who would be able to say if I'm a good therapist or a bad therapist. Right. Because in classes, I can write a paper, but right. he saw me do the work. He supervised me with actual clients and right away said no. No. In, in these 10 all-encompassing reasons, you are done. Yeah. And I asked him, shaking. I'm literally like, like shaking. Oh, my God. You know, with I feel like so bad for little Kirk. Terror, just like, you know, just shaking. And I, I asked him, I said, well, I have clients this afternoon. Can I say goodbye to them? He said, no, get your stuff and, and leave. Oh, my God. It's, it's as if you had... 
like an extramarital affair with all his wives or something. Yeah. <laughs> like, here's the thing I don't get. Why did he hate you? Well, it's only speculative. Um, I, I, I don't even want to get into why okay. I think he hated me, but, but I, I, I think before I think I know you told me that you shot him on accident with a gun, but <laughs> I think f- as soon as he met me, he decided he was going to figure out a way because to get those ten bullet points, it takes a number of weeks. So it's a personality clash underneath the surface. No, it was a it was. It was prejudice. Oh, I, I don't even want to get into what it was about. But I'll tell you what, though. This is the reason you didn't go into psychology. This is when you gave up, right? Right. And by the way, 20 years later, I uh, this was just, I don't know, a few years ago. I guess it was, actually, it was probably like seven years ago. <laughs> um, I ran into him at a <gasps> conference. No. He was actually teaching a class. He was still in the field? He, yeah, he still is today, wow. I'm pretty sure. Anyway, and um, I went to his class, and then after the class, I went up to him, and I actually got a friend of mine uh, who to support me, and actually, it was a supervisee <laughs> of mine, uh-huh. anyway, and we went up to him, and I said, you know, can I talk, and, and I, I, you know, told him the gist of what happened, and he, he claimed he didn't remember me, and this, this would have been maybe 18 years later or something. He, but he said, what year was it? And I said, it was 95, something like that, 96. And he says, you would have been, you would have been my first supervisee. And I, he what? says, he says, I, I had recently graduated myself. I had no idea what I was doing. He said, oh, wow. But he also claims he doesn't remember me. How do you not remember your first, your first supervisee? supervisee? You know what I mean? It wasn't like he had thousands of supervisees. He's That's probably a defense. Yeah, right. And then he also said that the agency had a ton of chaos at the time. Like people were getting fired and people were quitting like left and right. I don't doubt that, but... It doesn't justify it. You don't treat people like that. No, no. And it was between him and me because I I didn't know anyone else. I mean, it's been eight weeks. I don't don't know anybody else that works there. The reason I don't doubt the thing about the chaos is because I have... And of course, you know, in in your case, this was like the defining moment at the very start of your career. Right. And so that's even crazier. But I had sort of a similar situation that happened to me. So remember, I just said that, hey, I had this period of time where I was super depressed and I basically, I basically kind of ruined my, my career and my, like my situation. Right. But then I was clawing my way back mm. and I go back for the first time to a full-time job in my field uh, and and I'm, you know, like super excited and I start and the first month I, I keep hearing from my boss what an amazing job I'm doing. He keeps saying, hey, I wish I could clone you. Like we need more of you. It's like amazing, you know. So you're back in it. I'm back in. Second month, same thing. Then in the third month, I'm called into a meeting with my boss and his peer. And and I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And I sit down and his peer proceeds to tell me something very similar. He doesn't have a printed out 10 reasons why, but he tells me that no one on the team likes me, (laughs) that I have caused complete chaos or whatever. And that, uh, that this is a severe problem and that we have to get 
HR involved and we're going to have to do this this round table where everyone's going to tell me what problems they have with me and I'm going to have to like listen and not be defensive and all these so things. So it's, it's personal. Can I kind of sounds personal? And professional, like both. Yeah, all encompassing. All yeah. encompassing. Right, that was what it was for me. It, it wasn't just professional, it was, it was personal too. Now in my case, which is kind of weird, I will say almost worse that he wasn't telling me I was fired. Because it's one thing to be like, hey, no one likes you and you're causing disruption. We're going to have to let you go. It's like, no one likes you. You're causing disruption. So we're going to sit you in the middle of a thing and tell you all our problems with you. Well, so was the assumption to give you a chance to change or just because we want to blast you? No, it was because they didn't want to fire me. Oh, okay. So in one hand, it's Why didn't they want to fire you? I I couldn't figure it out. (laughs) It's like if you hate me this much, like I, the only thing I can think of is that I, they worried about Pablo Escobar. No, is well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Great joke. See, I, I like when you make funny jokes about. It. <laughs> but the the thing, the only thing I could figure is that they weren't really telling all of the story, and that not everyone on the team actually had it in for me. Oh right, right. Well, did they have a sit down? No. Here's uh, what happened. So it's probably like just him. I sat. No, no. I know that there was a couple others, but here's the problem. The team was absolutely in complete chaos. That I can vouch for. But I sat there, and like you, I was trembling inside. I was like feeling horrible. Like, like but I did my best to not get defensive and be, take it all in. I took some notes and I said, okay. And so then I left there, like internally crying. I was, you know, but. I was like, okay, I'm going to have to deal with this. And I started asking that same day, the next day, the next day, the next day, when is this meeting? When is this meeting? When is this meeting? Even though a big part of you was like, I don't want anything to do with this. That's the last thing on earth. But I thought, well, I actually would rather in a way, let's, let's hear it out. What did I actually do? Because that was part of it. I was like, your team is a complete chaos and you're blaming me, the new guy? Just like the same kind of thing. And so I kept asking for it. Never happened. It never happened. And eventually... But because you were uh, open, they couldn't complain. They couldn't complain. He's he's open to hearing about it. And it just never happened. It's like saying, give me the lie detector test. Give me the lie detector. Eventually they're like, well, I guess we don't need to The funny thing is like, knowing what I know now, it's like, that would have been such a bullying situation. Yeah. Like, I wonder if at some point someone in HR was like, uh, excuse me, that like opens us up to a huge lawsuit. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, it never happened. I unfortunately stayed on that team well, for, also, for too long, but they, you, you gotta, you gotta justify your bullet points. Yeah. If it's official like that. Yeah. And two, you open yourself up to other kinds of feedback. It's exactly. like, okay, well, let me, let, let me, me raise my hand. <laughs> yeah, let me provide yeah, some exactly. counter. Uh, Anyways, it was so demoralizing and it traumatized me for, I was there in that team for five years. Every, every year at review time, I was re-traumatized. Well, I think you were traumatized beyond that because even just, I don't know, five years ago, you're almost every time I talked to you, yeah. you would tell me about how you were like really lying awake at night, staring into the darkness, hoping that your boss would approve of you. Yeah, true. And every kind of yeah. indication in, you know, cause he, yeah. he, that particular boss like lacked social skills and 
Didn't know how to praise. His oh, employees. actually, um, that was a different boss. Oh, okay. The 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 one in question, which who wasn't my direct boss, I just he had it in in he had it in for me after that for four years, and it was like every time he interacted with me, he felt like it was nails on a chalkboard. But he was way higher up in the chain than I was. So he controlled my destiny in that team. I actually got an apology slash you did good kiddo email before I left the team from this person. Yeah. It's like too little, too late. But it was like, okay, I guess. <laughs> yeah. But it was so demoralizing. So, of course, you know, in your case, you're just starting out. At least at right. this point, I knew. Yeah. I had some evidence that I'm not a complete F up. You know? Right. Yeah. So I, you know, I confront him and he says, you know, it's, uh, and I'm mildly shaking even just seven years ago, you know, talking with him. And I was trying to be as differentiated as possible, as fair as possible. Yeah. I, you know, I, I wanted to wring his neck, honestly, <laughs> but I was like, you know, just, uh, therapist fight. Um, and, <laughs> He says, oh, I don't remember you. Oh, it's chaos. And he kind of apologized. I mean, he didn't really, because he didn't remember it. You know, he's just like, wow, it sounds awful kind of a thing. Mm. But it was very diplomatic. You know, he, he I, I could tell like he was just trying to get out of the conversation, <laughs> yeah. you know. Because he thought when I came up to him that it was going to be a conversation about his class that he just taught. <laughs> oh, right. And he's like, oh, okay, let's talk about it. And he's like, oh, Jesus, you know. And, um, but afterwards I felt liberated mm. you know it had been this monkey on my back since since that time and i faced him yeah and you know by that point i'm mid 40s yeah and i'm a professor and a supervisor and podcaster you know i was respected yeah and had you know hundreds and maybe even a couple thousand clients who were satisfied with yeah. my product with my service and and yet, there was this nagging part of me, this 25-year-old part of me that was, you know, slinking out of his office, feeling like mm -hmm. a small loser. Yeah. And when I, you know, I don't, I don't even say I confronted him. I just, I just said, I just basically said, like, this happened, and I just want you to know that it was wrong. Yeah. Because the accusations that were laid against me on the other side of the fence, now that I'm now that I'm a supervisor and have been, you know, by that point it would have been about 15 years. I've been a supervisor for 15 years. Knowing what I know about supervision, you failed me. I was eight weeks into my internship. Hmm. You're supposed to tell me what to do. Yeah. You didn't tell me what to do. You just cataloged what I was doing wrong and fired me. Yeah. That's wrong. Right. And I told him that. I said, I, and I'm pro, I was probably program director by that point. Yeah. And I said, if I had a supervisor do that to one of my, to one of my students, I would force you to take that person back. Right. Because there's a proper procedure for firing someone from it. It's a big deal to fire <laughs> someone from their internship, not only logistically, but that person, that's their career. Yeah. And so you have to go through proper steps of feedback and giving them a chance and evaluation and working with me, certainly as a professor, you can't just fire someone. 
I don't think I laid it on that thick because I, I don't think I felt emboldened that that much. But I, I said something along those lines, and he just he just kind of nodded his head. Yeah, you know, he didn't say like, "Oh, you're right." You know, he just kind of was like, he kind of is, is like a politician responding to a journalist. You know, yeah. I just remember it was very cold and very like, you know, it'd be like you walk up to uh, Bill Clinton and say like, um, you know, like the Monica Lewinsky and the and the Paula Jones thing, like, you know, you're wrong about that. Right. You know, and you just think that he would say something like, Oh, thank you for bringing that up for me. And then just get in his limo. That's and drive a very away. good point. I will think about that. Yeah. You know, it was very much like that. It was yeah. just, it was complete, just kind of blank di- diplomacy. And, but I felt, um, like I was empowered, you know, similar. And I've told this story in the podcast before too, that I, this, this bully bullied me very briefly when I was in middle school and then I ran into him at a bar in the U District <laughs> you told me when this, I was yeah. like 22 or something. And I saw him across the bar, and he was, and I was with my high school friends, and he was, he was with his high school friends. And there was a lot more of them. And I was like, and he was bigger than me when I was a kid, but now he went about the same size. And I was just like, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go punch that guy out. <laughs> like he, you know, he he yeah. bullied me when I was, and, I, and now I'm a. Now I'm a big boy, and let's see what happens. You know, I, maybe he'll win, maybe I'll yeah. win. I don't know, but it's even. It's but it's even, player. you know. Yeah. And so I went up to him, and I told him, "Do you remember me?" He's like, "No." And he's like, "I told him the story," and 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 he just looked down at his feet, and his friends from from high school and childhood said, "You did that to this to this kid? Like, why did you do that to him?" And he's like, oh. he's just looking down at his feet, and he's just like, "Yeah, I don't know." Like, he didn't say he was sorry. Yeah, he he yeah. just kind of, like, looked down. He was like, yeah, I, I don't know. And, you know, now, of course, I probably know, know that he was <laughs> yeah. not going through the best family life at the yeah. time, you know. And I was, <laughs> by yeah. the way. And and so, uh, and, you know, sort of confused, I just walked away going, like, so I guess we're not going to fight because <laughs> you're just looking down at the ground. <laughs> and um, anyway, so... Um, it felt good to me, but rewind the clock back. I'm, I'm driving away in my Honda, white Honda Civic from the agency. I remember it was in the summer and I'm like, well, that's it. That's it. You tried. Yeah. You suck. You'll never do this. That's it. I wasted a year of my life. And I mean, by that point, horrible $30,000 or something. It's so sad. And I'm like, obviously it's, and cause one, I thought, I'm terrible. That's it. Two, I thought, oh I'm pretty sure I'm going to get kicked out of the program because because I, you know, they, it was such a rare thing to be fired from your internship. If you saw this in a movie, say, they didn't say. By the way, if you ever get fired, like there was no, no. talk because no one ever got fired from their internship. If you saw this in a movie, you actually would be like, "This is silly. They're exaggerating. Like n- that doesn't happen to people." Yeah, like getting fired on their internship this way with ten bullet points, and you know, come you're on. It, you know eight weeks into your internship. No. <laughs> uh, and by the way, it for I probably was under his supervision for like six weeks because I was under a different supervisor for the first month, and then he he left. Yeah, and and I really liked him. Like he 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 was older. He knew what he was doing. And I was transferred to this other guy, basically, because it's like, shit, we don't have anyone to supervise this guy. So let's just give him to the new guy, you know? Anyway, so I'm driving away and I'm I'm in this daze. I'm like, well, I was going to see a bunch of clients. Now what do I do? And I didn't know what to do. So I drove to the university across town. And I'm just like, 
I guess I'll just tell them what happened and they'll kick me out of the program. So I walk in and I, I, none of the professors that I really, I know well are there like Paul David isn't there, but the Dean of the, of the program, uh, Tony Collis is there. So he's like the boss man of the whole program, you know? (laughs) And I walk into his office and I'm like, well, might as well just tell him. And I told him and he listened and he was a very nice, wise person. I didn't know it at the time. Everyone loves him by the way. And he says to me, well, it's not good that this happened, but it's not the end. And this happens not very often, but it happens sometimes. <laughs> and so, you know, if you're up for it, you just look around, get a different internship, and maybe it'll work. Maybe the, there'll be a better match between supervisor uh-huh. and supervisee, and, and maybe everything will be fine. But I'll tell you, if you get fired from your second internship, then yeah, it, <laughs> you're probably done. <laughs> and I was like, wait, I get a second chance? <laughs> you know? But then I thought, but why? I'm a right. loser. Right. I'm I was unfit. just told by someone who's an authority, apparently. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm unfit. Um, and But he, I don't know exactly what he said, but I think he must have said something encouraging, like, no, you're... Just, you know, don't take it to heart. You know, these things happen sometimes. Um, it might not be an indication of who you are. Probably isn't. I, I remember getting this feeling like there's an there's a possibility that the guy didn't know what he was talking about. <laughs> you yeah. Know? Like, I, I remember that being in the air. Like, really? And <laughs> and I must have gone to some other people. And, and Paul David in particular, who was my advisor, and he probably, you know, p- picked me up. I get an inter- internship almost right away, Federal Way Family Services, and Amy Cam was my supervisor. Had a wonderful relationship with her. She was like a big sister to me and a mentor and was very caring and never made me feel unsafe and never threatened to fire me and never made me feel like I was a bad therapist. In fact, it was the opposite. She made me feel like I was... I was like really good right from the start. Mm. Um, graduated, got hired on there, um, and then was never fired again and never had another problem. <laughs> I mean, had problems <laughs> with colleagues and stuff, but never yeah. like nothing like that. Never like a client who complained. Like that was the other thing. None of my clients had complained. Right. <laughs> All my clients were happy with me. You know what I mean? Or at the very least, they didn't say anything. Right. Um, but anyway. So, That's amazing. So the so the the lesson you know I think is in the story of you know at Birdo's uh, and mine, but the steps that I that I thought about to follow are one, don't think of it as a quote unquote failure. You know, for Birdo when they call him into the office and they're like, you know, there's ten things. It's an opportunity, you know, and I know that's a cheesy thing to say, and it's something you'd have on some inspirational poster, but it's true. Looking back, it felt like a failure, but when, I mean, at the time it felt like a failure, but looking back, it wasn't a failure. It was just a setback or an opportunity or a bump in the road. Even when it's all of your own making, for example, during the time where I was wasting money like a drunken sailor, I thought I was, I didn't look at it that way. I didn't think, oh yeah, I'm just going to waste my money. I thought I was trying to play smart investments. And so I was like, ooh, I'm going to go place this stock bet in the stock market in the most volatile of ways and I immediately lost an obscene amount of money. 
And that is, that is definitely me failing to do something, you know, safe. Um, and that again could be a moment where you're like, Oh, that's it. I'm done. I'll, I'll just like go to jail or something. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do. But if you flip that script and you're like, okay, that was an expensive lesson, but am I going to learn from it or am I going to just like crumble? Um, and some, some of us end up paying higher prices for our lessons, but it's important to keep thinking of it as a lesson. What can I take from this? And I did the same thing in that situation where I got pulled in that office. I said to myself, in fact, it helped me that they were approaching it in such a negative way because I said, I'm not going to give them the satisfaction that this is some sort of like attack on me. I'm going to learn from this. I'm going to be the bigger person. Yeah. I'm going to introspect and see, well, whatever personality deficiencies are on this side of the aisle, I'm going to see what I did and how I could do it differently next time. Right, right. Along those lines, um, at my second internship, I I forced myself not to be shy. Like I, I'm generally a shy person in a environment where I don't know everyone. I tend to just stay out of people's way. And at this second internship, I was like, well, that was one of the bullet points. You know, it wasn't like I, they didn't say I was shy. They said that I made people uncomfortable. Right. So in the second internship, I just said, I'm going to be obnoxiously extroverted. <laughs> and so I would walk into people's offices and say, hey, how's it going? I didn't want to do it. Right. I did not feel comfortable doing it, but I, you know, I I sort of committed to it early on and it sort of became my thing. And then I think that helped, you know, I, I, so, so I did learn from that. I want to tell a story, different sort sort of story about failure, because I feel like the failure stories that we've told thus far have been kind of like other people's faults, (laughs) at least framed that way. Like when I wasted my money, that was me wasting my money. (laughs) Right, 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 right. So, but I want to share one of mine as well. And, you know, some of them are just so embarrassing and shameful that I just don't even want (laughs) to, I don't even want to go into details about them, but I'll I'll tell a general story uh, that has to do with this podcast. Actually. Um, I, made an episode years ago. This would have been, I don't know, long time ago, years and years. And I forged into this topic with so much hubris and so much lack of preparation and lack of asking others, am I striking the right tone in this topic that I have no idea what I'm talking about? You know, I haven't really gone into this topic before. Right am I even on the right base here? Is there something? And there were, were enough signs prior to me recording this episode that I should have pumped the brakes hard. Mm. And I did not. I, I just forged ahead and, you know, yammered in the microphone for an hour and then published it. And it rubbed, um, you know, there weren't that many listeners back then. So it was just like a few people, but it was enough. <laughs> and their reaction was you know, strong enough mm-hmm. that at, at the time I didn't even know why I was, how I was failing, but it was clear from, you know, different vectors that I had failed, uh-huh. but I, which points to how, how, you know, how much hubris I had, because 
I didn't even know what mistake I had made that yeah. had caused people to point out I had made a mistake. You know, I'm like, I'm like entering into a, a dog show with a cat <laughs> and people are like, um, and I'm like, well, I thought it just had to have four legs. You know, I, I'm just so in the dark that I don't even know what's happening. And, you know, confusion and mistakes are one thing, but like harming other people with my words. Sure. And hurting other people and misrepresenting other people was another accusation. Um, it wasn't just a absolute failure and on so many levels and has to do absolutely with my personality of assumption and hubris and, and slight narcissism. And that was an absolute failure. And so the steps that I went through in that moment was at first I was highly defensive. I was like, you don't know what you're talking about. You're overreacting. You know, I didn't say that, yeah. but in my head, I'm like, come on, like, let it go. Yeah. Minimizing it. Like, yeah, I'm yeah. right. You're crazy. But I, I caught, but that, that was my first reaction. And I, I feel like I often have that reaction at first. Um, if it's really severe kind of feedback mm -hmm. and I, I consider it almost kind of like this inevitable step that I go through. But then I, I, you know, reach that why in the road, like Berto was talking about, where it's like, okay, I can, I can continue to go down this road mm -hmm. and maybe even win, you know what I mean? Cause I have power and I'm, you know, but, but I saw what was down that road, which was like probably repeating this problem and repeating this same set of procedural problems for mm. me as a podcaster. Whereas I saw this other road, which was much harder to kind of accept at the time, which was accepting I did something wrong and apologizing and being public about it yeah. on the podcast. Right. And just fully admitting, you know, even though there's a part of me that's like, well, I mean, I don't know if we go that far, Yeah. but you know, why do I have to include that? It's like, I failed and I, I clearly did something wrong and here are the five things and here are the 10 things that led me down that road that, that I need to change about myself. And I'm going to, and I'm going to talk about it on the podcast. Right. And, um, and that's what I did. And I, you know, recorded an episode. I pulled that episode. Um, incidentally, we kind of did this again years later. Um, with the Rachel Dolezal thing. Oh, yeah, right. But that was a much smaller kind of version of it, like a lot smaller. Yeah. Um, and anyway, so what I did was I turned the failure into a learning opportunity instead of I give up on podcasting or I give up on talking about sensitive topics. Right. I'm going to kind of absorb it. It's it, That's kind of the metaphor. That's the visualization I have about those kinds of failures of just like, like it's an injury that broke a bone, but I'm going to heal and it'll be stronger afterwards. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to let it happen. I'm going to lean into it. I'm not going to resist it. And, and I'm going to take my shots, you know, I'm going to take the consequences. I'm going to, I'm going to open my arms and say, okay, let me have it. I yeah. deserve it. And then I'm going to learn. And some people are going to say, not only do I think he did something wrong, but he admitted it. <laughs> so we all agree Evidence. that he's wrong. 
He did something stupid. He did something wrongheaded. He did something harmful. He did something that everyone understands is wrong. And, and he admits it. And so ding, 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 everyone agrees. And, and I just said, okay, I'm not a perfect person and I made a terrible mistake and I need to learn from it. You know, so those are the moments that I, I, you know, the more we talk about it, Berta, the more I think like these quote unquote failures, whatever kind of styles, types of failures, whether it's someone that thinks we did something wrong and we might not have, or when we actually did something wrong. These are the critical moments that define your life. They do. Absolutely. You can go down one direction where you end up closing off and becoming essentially dependent on other people without a career. Yep. You know, in in one style of failure. Or you open your arms and you accept it and you live with it and you don't shame yourself. I think that's a big thing, right? And it's hard because... um Okay, as an example of failures that are not even originally your fault, but they are a failure. So as an example of me acting out uh, in behaviors that were uh, crossing boundaries, personal boundaries with females as a result of, of trauma when I was little, right? Well, okay, so that wasn't my fault initially, right? But that is another one of those whys in the road that when I start learning from others that, hey, wait, maybe I'm crossing boundaries here. I could double down and say, well, that's just me or, hey, that's not my fault or whatever, right? They're just sensitive. They're just sensitive. Or, or literally I could say like, yeah, I know it's bad, but hey, what am I going to do? I was, you know, I was traumatized, yeah. right? But there is a why in the road and, you know, it's hard, but like I, you know, in my case, I had to be like, okay, maybe, maybe what I think is normal isn't or, or what I think is okay isn't. And you you don't you know you're not necessarily there's going to be people that don't accept you after you admit something like that like when you're like hey i admitted that i was wrong i'm sure you lost some listeners yeah but that's okay cuz you have to come out on the other side still wagging a tail <laughs> yeah and and i think in 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 our case whatever the mistake was, it was your fault, it wasn't your fault, whatever. The question is, look, are you going to live to fight another day with a better plan, like with an improved plan? Or are you going to crumble? Or are you going to go down the same path with a bad plan? Right. And, you know, those are the little choices that end up being big choices. Right. I guess it's a three-way a three way crossroad, which is I'm going to dig in and get defensive and hide away and act like it didn't happen or two, I'm going to grow from it or three, I'm going to crumble and give up. It it is. In fact, like using the gambling stuff, since I was talking about losing money. Yeah. Imagine you are in that gambling, uh, you're at the tables in Vegas and you just put down like half your money. Right. And you just lost it. So what do you do? Do you put the the other half? Do you, take that and learn from it or do you give up donate your half and then go live in the streets or something like it's like <laughs> well i don't know if i like that analogy because <laughs> the best choice is to walk away well but that is that is statistically the, mathematically the, the choice of walking away is you learning from that moment and being like okay i should i should probably not gamble half my money i probably shouldn't gamble at all you know well, as as a gambler myself as you know yeah um you know uh, the best way to earn money at gambling is to not gamble. To be yeah, but the, there is a big I get, difference I get between. Your, I get your point. You know, yeah. I put one dollar on a table, and if I win, I win. If I lose, I lose. 
I put half my life savings and I lose it. Yeah. Should I put the second half of my life savings right. to try to recoup what I already made a bad mistake? Yeah. About? You're committed to the, to the uh, analogy. So I am. <laughs> I'm with you. So I, I now have a why in the road. I could commit to the analogy further. <laughs> or I could... <laughs> So my, my uh, two, three, and four. So number one is don't think of it as a failure. Think of it as an opportunity. Number two is define success yourself. What is success? Is success never being fired at your internship jobs? Or is success um, eventually succeeding? <laughs> you know, like you get to define success. Um, uh, other people will define it for you, but you don't have, I mean, they'll try to, but you don't have to. Uh, number three is 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 it worth it regardless of success so are you you know like when for me to become a therapist at the time i i believed that it was my purpose even though i hadn't really done it much yet i knew enough about it to think i think this was my purpose so is it worth it to overcome the bumps in the road you know uh you know i if i knew what i knew today um, at the age of 25, if I would have gone to myself, like, dude, this is what eventually is going to happen. And so if you get fired 10 more times, that's okay. That's okay. Because yeah. it's worth it. You yeah. know, like this is your calling. Right. So don't, don't let it get in your way. It doesn't matter. Like learn from it, but don't absorb it. It's, you know, like to be an actor, I'm guessing, you know, there's all the auditions and all the failures, right? This is why you shouldn't go back in time because now the other you is like, oh, cool. I'm just going to fail 10 more times and they <laughs> never become a good therapist. <laughs> uh, number four is the last one is what can I do to reach my goal? So instead of looking at like, oh, crap, I failed. It's like, well, what's my goal? What is my ultimate goal? Right. Yeah, I failed. Uh, you know, something went wrong there. But I only have what I can do in the future. What can I do to achieve my goal? You know, because yeah. what I think what people do is like, oh, I, like for me, when I was driving away from the agency, I'm like, I failed. I'm done. This means I'm done. Yeah. But that wasn't true. You know, what, what it meant was, do you still have a goal of being a therapist? I was like, yeah. Okay, well, what do you need to do? Well, I, you know, what can I do? You know, so I'd have to research that. Well, get another internship. Please that person. Make sure you do everything that they want you to do. Don't risk getting fired at all. Graduate. Get a license. You know. Yeah. <laughs> it's not. It doesn't affect that. You know. And I think a yeah. lot of goal, a lot of failures, the inertia that people experience is because they think the failure defines the path, but it doesn't. You know. Well, it's, and, it's just a thing that happened along the path. Absolutely. And you know, you could you could have a goal that is. Uh, as I was referring to earlier, one of these very rare things, like let's say you are an athlete who dreams of winning a gold medal at the Olympics in a specific sport. That's very rare. Very few people in history accomplish that kind of goal, right? So the odds are not in your favor, let's say. Even if you're a great, fantastic athlete, they're, they're just not in your favor. But that's your goal. Okay. So, there is this part of it that's like you have to live a life in addition to that goal. So every step of the way trying to get there, it's like you have to keep that in mind. You have to live your life in addition to having that goal. And that way, when you get to a point where maybe you didn't qualify for the Olympics, you still have to live a life. And so what are the tools that you have at your disposal to be okay with keep going with that life keeping going with that life, even though 
this specific goal you technically failed at. And so it can't just be about the destination. And that's part of it. Right. If, if for you, it literally had been that future Kirk travels to say, don't worry, the destination looks good. I maintain that that's still not good. Like you need the path to be part of the picture too. Well, a little hope, a little, if, if, if future Kirk had gone back time and just been like, uh, the things you're going to learn are going to help you. So just don't give up. Yeah. That, that, that sounds totally fine. But if you're, um, because as we know, there are countless examples in this life of people that technically reached their goal. They won the Oscar. They did get the thing. And then they have a tragic life. They, they drink themselves to death or they, they kill someone or they, whatever, you know, they're happy for a week. And then, yeah. So it can't just be about this one specific goal in the future. It is about a journey and like every little opportunity to learn and grow and improve yourself as a human. Well, and with yin yin yang, like without, without uh, failure, you can't have the thrill of success. You know, absolutely. If something is guaranteed and easy, like that's like, yay, I walked and went to the bathroom. Like that, you know, you don't celebrate that because you're pretty sure you're going to succeed. The fact that, I feel good about the fact I've succeeded in my careers because there was so much possibility and occasional failure. We've talked about this before. If you at all play video games and you've ever turned on the cheat codes, it's fun for like five minutes. You know, you're playing the video game where it's a resource management game. You have to build your city and all these things. But you read online that there's these cheat codes where it gives you infinite money and no no negative consequences. You turn it on, you're like, oh my God, I can build all the buildings. Oh my God, I can buy all the things. Five minutes go by and you're like in heaven. And then you're like bored to tears. Yeah. Because there's no challenge. There's nothing. Yeah. You need to be able to compare that success to like what happens when you don't succeed. Yeah. All right, Berto, let's take a break. What do you say? Let's take a break. Let's do it. Hey, Deserving Listeners, as you all know, I am constantly recommending that people go to therapy. We all need therapy from time to time. Well, one of the options available that is definitely worth checking out is BetterHelp. If you're looking for a therapist, I would give it a try by going to betterhelp.com slash Kirk. Make sure you use the promo code Kirk because you get 10% off your first month and it really helps us out. As you watch these videos, I know many of you have been motivated to find your own therapist, which is great because you deserve it. And I know also that it can be hard to find a good fit, find the right one for you. Well, one of the options available in terms of your shopping is to go to betterhelp.com slash Kirk. I've been told you can start communicating with your therapist in under 24 hours. You can message your counselor at any time. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. I've also been told that it's often less expensive than in-person therapy. And you should know that this service is available to clients worldwide. So go to betterhelp.com slash Kirk to get 10% off your first month today. All right, we're back from the break. Let's do an OPP. OPP. An old patron praise for those patrons who have been around since December of 2018. Oh, my goodness. We got Riyadh from Toronto. Mm. We have Matej from Slovenia. Slovenia. We have Chelsea from God Knows Where. Oh. We have Reinhold from Pennsylvania. Nice. We have we have Nick from God knows where. We have Stephanie Out of God knows where. <laughs> from Florida. I believe I've communicated with Stephanie. Okay. We have Am from God knows where. We have Susan from God knows where. We have Tara from who's an upper tier patron from 
Mississippi? No, MI, Michigan. Michigan, okay. Uh, and Tara, we I absolutely have communicated with Tara. Because, of course, we've talked about the Detroit Lions, mm. uh, me and Tara. Uh, and Tara, if you're listening right now, Seahawks, Lions, both not doing great. So we feel each other's pain. And Carla from BE. BE. Is that Belgium? Oh, yeah. Probably Belgium, right? Belgium. BE country code into the internet. It gives me Belgium. Yay. So thank you to all y'all for being patrons and for being patrons for so long. So what's Belarus? Is that BL? Uh, let me look it up. Country code. Belarus is two-letter country code. Belarus. B-Y. Oh. Which Never. is weird. Yeah. Um, would, you, would you like to know all the Bs? We have... Borneo. We have Bahamas, which is BS. We got Bahrain, which is BH. We got Bangladesh, which is BD. That makes sense. Got Barbados, which is BB. That's kind of fun. BB. Belarus, BY. Belgium, BE. Belize, BZ. Well, that makes sense. So Benin, what do you think that one is? Benin is a country? Or Benin? I'm not sure. Oh, I didn't even know. Uh, BN. BJ. BJ? Bermuda. B-A. Oh, no, B-M. B-M. Baton. Um, B-T? Is yeah. it B-T? Okay. Bolivia. B-O. Bonaire. B-R? B-Q. B-Q. I think what they do with the smaller places, you know, they like... find some other letter. They're just like, ah, just throw it. Because like, <laughs> Bolivia, it's a big place, yeah. so it gets B-O. But you got Bonaire, uh, you got B-Q. <laughs> Bosnia and Herzegovina. Herzegovina. Uh, H-Z. <laughs> B-A. Botswana. Wait, B-A wasn't taken already? That's weird. I guess not. Uh, Botswana. Uh, B-W. Bouvet Island. Or Bouvet Island? B-V. Brazil. B-R. British. I don't know. Uh, Brunei. B-U. B-N. Oh. Bulgaria. B-U. B-G. <laughs> what? B. Burkina Burkina Faso BF yeah uh, Burundi uh, I think we're out of B Y no B X B I yeah <laughs> that was fun <laughs> listener Roxana from Texas says I'm confused about how I'm supposed to take it when someone asks have you always lived in the states when did your family move here to America from Mexico I am I'm usually, I usually am uncomfortable right away when they ask these questions because of the way I'm being asked, opposed to a more friendly approach of, where are you from? I was bullied for my brown skin as a kid. Am I being triggered by these questions? What is the proper way to react and respond? Berto, what do you think? Well, it's interesting because I would have thought that where are you from would be more I know in your face, but different but it's more open for different because folks. I think for her, she's saying... Well, I could say Texas. Oh, I see. <laughs> instead, I of, see. instead of, where have are you, you always from? Have okay. you always lived in the States? So I guess because I was not, in fact, born in this country, and because I did come from Colombia uh, at a later age, 15, I've never personally been bothered by the question. And I also, because I'm an extrovert, I like to talk about myself, and a narcissist, I, I like to talk about myself. So I appreciate the question, because then I'm like, well, let me tell you my life story. <laughs> 
That said, I can understand, especially if you are from here and your life is all here and your family's here and you just are not a white, you know, I don't know, Iowa looking kid or something, then they're asking you where are you from or which country are you from. I could see why that would bother someone. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. yeah. And it's, it's not just that, you know, it, it, but you're saying it well, but it's not just that it's, and I find that people don't usually describe it this way. So, because it's often just like when people say, you know, don't ask me where I'm from instead of like explaining what's happening inside of us. Like me, when people ask me, where are you from? If it was the only time I was ever asked or I was asked like once every three years or something, then I wouldn't notice it. It'd just be in the background of various different, you know, questions people ask me. But um, I get asked in particular contexts. Like mm. I don't get asked in cities. I get asked outside of cities. Mm. Um, right, the other right. thing is, is that it represents a much larger assumption that I'm, that I'm not a true American. Even right. if I were to say, I... You know, my ancestors have lived in in Washington State, my Japanese ancestors, for 120 years, much longer than you lived. You've lived. Oh, here. I see. So you're Japanese. <laughs> yeah, and so <laughs> um, if even if I said that, right, they would say, "Oh, I, I get it. You're a foreigner, essentially." Right. Instead of, um, you know, because it's always a white person that's asking, right? And instead of like, or at least they're asking in the annoying way. Instead of me, you know, because and sometimes I want to just turn to them and be like, well, let's look at your genealogy and look at how long ago you emigrated to the United States and how long ago my ancestors, because I guarantee you, you know, on law of averages, your ancestors. No, came I meant, were you from me. Seattle or from Bellevue? Yeah. <laughs> um, and not only is it a represent, you know, when someone asks me, where are you from? Or, you know, you know, what's your, why do you have brown skin or slanty eyes? Essentially is what they're asking. But also, they're saying, I'm not worthy. I'm not, because I don't know if that's what they believe, but, you know, it wouldn't be unusual. That's how you feel, though. That's, that's what is behind the question, is when they ask me, where are you from? They are just looking me up and down. And this just hasn't happened, because I've lived in Seattle, you know, for a long time. This happened much often, much more often when I was a kid. But when they're asking me that question, they are immediately categorizing me as an other, as a foreigner. And I also know that most white people, especially back in the day, do not value foreigners and think that Americans are more valued. The other thing that I will hear that will drive me bonkers is people will say, you know, I'm American, meaning I'm a white person. And it's like, you're a European American, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, in certain contexts, you know, the same way that I can say I'm an American. Yeah. And a white person could certainly say I'm an American. But if I'm saying I'm Japanese-American, and they're like, oh, I'm American. Say, like, well, you're a European-American. Right, exactly. Um, as, as an example of this, still to this day, in grocery stores, there will be an aisle called the ethnic aisle. This is true. <laughs> that is one of the dumbest things. Americans have an ethnicity. It's not like Americans don't have ethnicity and everyone else around the world has an ethnicity or, you know, the cultural, you know, it, people will say this. It's like, 
Oh, it's like one one of the things that therapists will say and trainees will say sometimes will drive me crazy. I, I won't hear it that much anymore, but there'll be some something about a client, like say they're from South Korea and some kind of issue comes up and the and the therapist will be like, oh, you know, we'll be conferring as therapists. Yeah. And one of the therapists will be like, oh, is that is that is that a cultural thing? And that question is is based on such idiocy because everything is a cultural thing. <laughs> like the fact that you ask that question is a cultural thing. The fact, you know, if, if with a white American, right. if they say certain things, it's a cultural, it comes from their culture just because right. they're South Korean. Suddenly now they have a culture. Whereas if you're white American, you don't have culture. But I wonder if, cause although you're right about that, uh, and it should be applied in all cases, I think there, the way I've personally used it or thought about it is more of, is this something unique to you? Or is this something that is common to your circle? Are you asking me a question? I'm saying that I think when I personally hear or think about the the expression, is that a cultural thing? It's the difference between is this just a, a, a unique thing you do or is this a thing that you in your circle do? And that's why, but I agree with you that it's not just like culture isn't just about a foreign country. Cult, right. Everyone's got a culture. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Literally every aisle in the grocery store is an ethnic aisle. It just that some of them are the dominant hegemonic white American aisle, ethnic, ethnicity wise. And the ethnic, quote unquote, ethnic aisle is everything else. Yeah. <laughs> so um, it's not like, you know, kimchi is ethnic and hamburgers are not. Hamburgers are ethnic. It's just American ethnic. That's that's all it is. You know, barbecue yeah. is ethnic. You know, it's a specific culture. It comes from a particular part in the world. I don't know. I'm trying to think of what you would call the other aisles. International. That right, you know, right, I, that'd right. be fine. You know, but but also that's kind of stupid because my people have been in Seattle for 120 years. At what point? is my aisle not called the international ethnic aisle? You know, at what point is my, is Japanese American food like, you know, sushi or something? At what huh. point do I get to call my food American? <laughs> do I need another 120 years? Because certainly hot dogs came over from Germany, I presume, <laughs> but they just became American food. True. But my food has, is still in the ethnic aisle. Pizza comes from Italy. It's a. It's just in the regular American aisles. <laughs> My food and kimchi and seaweed. It's still in the ethnic aisle because I have brown skin. That's the only reason why. You know, if you're white, then you get assimilated. If you're not, then you don't. Interesting. I suppose Jewish people as well don't get assimilated. They're still in the ethnic aisle. So pretty dumb. And the other thing is, is in the ethnic aisle also is Mexican food. A good portion, a good swath of American soil is Mexican. We took it over. <laughs> That's why it's called California and New Mexico. Right. And Los Angeles and San Francisco. You know, all these places were named by Spanish-speaking people. But beans and rice. Great. <laughs> and so that's it's like Mexican food. No, it's it's Californian food. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it, anyway, so. Now, what are you supposed to say? So, Berto, let's role play. You ask me. Or no, I'll ask you. Okay. So let, you're someone who was born in the States and you're tired of people asking you, where are you from? Um, and you're at a work party, and there's some randos, and you're starting to talk, and then I walk up to you, and I say, oh, so your name's Umberto. Oh, where are you from? Oh, uh, so I was born in the hospital in uh, Everett. I don't know. Do you know Everett? 
Well, Everett, Washington. Yeah. Well, yeah. No, 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 no. But where are you from? Like, where oh. are your parents from? Oh, yeah. Like, well, I mean, we lived close to the hospital, if that's what you mean. <laughs> or, or no, are you, you're meaning where, where they had sex? Is that what you're asking? <laughs> you're right. They actually had sex in Canada. Okay. <laughs> let's, uh, let's, and I'm going to, I'm going to, it's great. You know, let's do another one. Oh, so uh, you work in accounting. Uh, where are you from? Well, I'm from here, from the accounting office. <laughs> No, I mean I'm I'm from the United States. What, do you mean like ethnically? Are you asking? Yeah, yeah. Where are you from? Where Where's your people from? So again, like I'm from the United States. My parents are from the United States. My grandparents are from the United States. But I, I guess you're asking like in like well, you don't have to get hostile. Like, are you are you like angry? No, but see, my people are angry people. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> we're in the ethnic aisle, pal. <laughs> Clean up on ethnic aisle. Um. I mean, to me, you can't win, you know, if when, when, cause people ask me this, like, what am I supposed to say? And to me, it's like, you can't win because if you're polite, even in the slightest, they, you know, they win. And, and if you, if you're assertive and you try to address the question in any kind of assertive way, then you're an a-hole. It, it, I can see that it, it's, it's a little hard for me to relate because again, I have always Immediately understood, and, and well, you I, also grew up a dominant in the dominant culture. Yeah, that's you true. were of Bogota. That's no true. one questioned your Bogota. That's true. Imagine your entire life, yeah, everyone around you, yeah, going, "Who's that guy? What's he doing?" Yeah, yeah, you know, and just like, "Oh, he speaks Spanish. That's weird." Like we thought he would, duh, 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 you know, yeah. just everywhere you go. I guess the okay. I'll tell you the part that is relatable is the whole Pablo Escobar thing. Where right. for the first maybe twenty years I was here, <laughs> everyone I would meet. Oh, you're Colombian. Pablo oh, Escobar is cocaine. And oftentimes it's like Uncle Pablo. Like they would literally say, like, is your uncle Pablo Escobar? Yeah. Uh someone it, who's essentially like the Hitler of Bogota and, yeah, and Medellin. Like exactly. someone who killed and killed it, and killed. It was funny the first two hundred times. <laughs> Because you would even say stories that even teachers would say. Something. Oh, yeah. No, that one was actually abusive. And I didn't know because I'm a dumb teenager. I'm sitting there in his class. I was the best student in his class. And he, for some reason, he felt that entitled him to constantly make fun of Colombia and me being a Colombian. Yeah. And Well, he felt that way because everyone felt that way because America is a fucking racist country. That's why. It It was crazy, actually. Like... He would no just, one said anything, right? No. If you reported him, they'd say, well, he's just... He's and a I, well, part of the reason, I, I didn't even recognize it as abusive in the moment. I just thought, hey, hey yeah. this is how he's bonding with me. That happened to me all the time as a Japanese, as an Asian person. This happened all the time. I, people would do stuff and, and I just thought, well, yeah, I just play along because what else am I going to do? And what's weird is, it, it's funny, I was in a classroom with... Chinese, uh, Japanese, uh, Thai, Thai uh, yeah, like there were at least four different ancestral genetics in there. I don't know whose parents were from what, but there was definitely a mix. But I was the only Latino, and so I think that was the I was literally the minority in well, that situation. And in the you know late eighties, early nineties. It was this huge story about Colombia was a huge story about yeah yeah. yeah. But so how did you feel by the two hundred and first time? 
When people would say that. Uh, no, I definitely, first of all, as I started processing, because you know, when you're, when you're in it, you don't really think about it, you don't, but as I started processing just how horrific that whole situation was to the country and to me and my family and everything, I really started to resent how everyone would glorify this monster and that how that was the joke. But honestly, uh, I would never challenge it. I think even to this day, if someone makes the joke, I'm like, yeah, hey, yeah. But how do you? I'm, f- I'm your happy clown. How do you feel when they say? Well, I I no longer like, I hate it. Like I, I'm like, wow, it sucks. That's the legacy. Why? Why does? It, why does it bother you? Because I think, a, it is. You are right that it's like saying, like you meet someone who is German. It's like ah, Hitler, Hitler. Oh, where's your little mustache, huh? Yeah. Like seriously, I, it, it's like this guy killed you know no, no, nowhere near as many as Hitler but certainly killed thousands and thousands uh, responsible for near destruction of the whole country responsible uh, for so much damage across the world from his products right yeah I mean I don't know about you but to me it would deny 99.9% of those from Colombia who are wonderful people exactly. who yeah. didn't kill people who didn't deal drugs and yep. who uh, might have even been victims you know yeah. and it's like the one person that you think of. And I get it. Like, it's like people are just trying to relate, right? They're just like, I just met you. I'm just trying to relate. So like, if you did challenge, like, look, I'm, I'm sure that a lot of them would apologize and say, oh, you're right. I'm sorry. I was just trying to, I, that's the only thing I know. Sorry. I know that in coffee. Right. Right. Exactly. And when, you know, and people inevitably will email in whenever I talk about this and say like, you know, I didn't know that asking someone, I'm just genuinely curious and totally, yeah. you know, if you're coming from a, and it was celebratory place fine but we can't know that you yeah. know if you're the one person that's actually coming from a non-racist place we can't know that plus you're highlighting the fact that we're different yeah you know imagine you have a prosthetic you know foot and every single fucker comes up to you and says how are you doing what's what's up with your foot just imagine like you just be like, can't I just fit in half a second? Do, do you have to focus on yeah. that every time? Like, I, I'm a human being first. I, I unfortunately uh, made this mistake just two days ago. Uh, there were two people at my house uh, that came over to look because I'm going to get uh, my carpet replaced with hardwood floors. And they were looking at the floors. And one of them had a cast on one of his legs. Not a cast. Uh, one of those plastic kind of... Uh, so it's not a full cast. It's just more of the... Like a brace thing. A brace thing. And I just casually said, oh, what happened to your leg? You know, I'm just trying to be empathetic. But I hadn't seen because he says, oh, yeah, no, I, I just, I, I lost toes a long time. It, like, and then I noticed that he didn't have toes. And he must get this question all the time. And he's got to say, yeah, I... I my foot doesn't have toes and right. and I felt so lame but but yeah I was just trying to be like what happened to your leg right and and so the empathetic stance and awareness is before you point out something and someone particularly that you just met yeah just think for half a second ask yourself the question how many people have asked them this question already it's a similar empathy for we talked about this not too long ago, an attractive woman walking down the street. You know, we talked yep. about this, how it's like uh, you, people will say, well, she's she's just really attractive. She has a beautiful smile and a beautiful dress. And, you know, I just want to I just want to pick her up. I want to not pick her up, but I want to 
I want to lift her spirits by complimenting her. And it's like, how many dudes said that as she was just trying to casually walk from her home to the store and back? She just wants to do that. And 30 dudes are commenting about her dress and implying that they're checking her out sexually, maybe. You know what I mean? Eventually, it just it just becomes like it's not a fun compliment anymore. It's And to me, it's not a curiosity about my heritage because you want to celebrate me. It's just like that's all you see of me. You know, a yeah. white person walks down the street and you see a you see a you know the white majority sees like a full person with hopes and dreams. I walk down the street and you see an Asian dude. That's all you see. A guy walks down the street with a prosthetic foot. You just see a guy with a prosthetic. That's all you, a black guy walks through a white neighborhood. It's a black guy. That's all you see. And instead of that's a well-rounded human being with all sorts of hopes and dreams, all sort we probably share a lot of things in common, but no, it's just a black dude. It's yeah. just a guy from that place where they had, you know, Pablo Escobar. That's all you see. I I've put you in a box and it's not a we all know it's not a good box. If I if I thought that being a foreigner was a good box for you white Americans, then you know, maybe I'd feel a little different. I probably still wouldn't like it. But I understand it's not a good box. And I know what you associate with it. So stop focusing on it. <laughs> but here's the thing. We never learned this. They don't teach this stuff. Yeah. Well, they do hopefully now. You know, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> with uh, what, what they call it, critical race theory. Well, no, that wouldn't be. Because what we need is like critical human empathy. <laughs> yeah. Like seriously, like. Well, to be clear, a version of critical race theory would discuss these questions, by the way. But it's it's like we just said, it's not even about just race. It's about... Because one of these examples was about women. One of these examples was about someone with a disability. But once you understand... I'm not... Anyway, point is, is that you're right. Schools... And, you know, I've been talking about this for years, that we have however many years of math that from you know, first through 12th grade, say, you know, if you break up the day into six different hours, there's a good chance that one out of every six hours of school is spent on math. Yeah. And God bless, you know, you and me both in college contemplated wanting to be a math major. Yep. We both love math. I, I, I ruled calculus, man. Like I didn't even, I just, it clicked with me. I didn't have to think about it hard. It was fun. (laughs) I slept through most, I was like runner up to like most likely to sleep through class and calculus was, was a first or second period. And I definitely slept through that. And I still, it clicked with me. I just loved math. And yet I do not think of all the things we need to be teaching children (laughs) and teenagers a sixth of the time should be spent on math when, and you spend so little time, <laughs> no time, yeah, on mental health and psychology and racism and sexism and internalized these you know issues, ableism, classism, imagine, materialism. Imagine if once, at least once a week, but let's just say once a week, one class a week, where you're learning how to interact with other people. Yeah, you're learning how to interact just on a casual basis. How do you interact when you actually want to be in a friendship? How do you interact when you want to be in a romantic relationship? And, and how do you um, educate it? How do you frame the education process such that the teenagers will even listen to you? <laughs> you know? I think the reason that some people are um, 
being brainwashed right now into thinking that uh, something is being taught called critical race theory and that this is terrible is because uh, it is being framed on purpose as a totally different thing. Right. But what, it's a, it's a yeah. straw man. Yeah. The conservatives are framing it as teaching people that white people are bad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's like, uh, no. <laughs> and what we're saying is that none of us taught us, other than you know parents ad hoc lessons, none of us were systemically taught how to be human beings in a society with empathy and with love and compassion and safety. You yeah, know? yeah. And, you know, and again, whenever we talk about this, inevitably someone will email and say, you know, I'm a high school teacher. I'm doing it. And I applaud you. Yeah. But it's not enough. Yeah. You know, and, and maybe you're doing enough. But as a whole. Well, and then we I'm actually are. also bringing it up in an apology for all of us. Because, fine, so maybe now someone is teaching it. None of us learned any of this. Yeah. So if you're talking about anyone my age, if they're doing these behaviors the right way, it's because of maybe they got lucky with their parents or maybe they just randomly, their brain clicked that way. Otherwise, we were not bred this way. Well, two things need to happen. And this is for me. Because, uh, you know, I wasn't taught a lot of these things. Was one, someone has to point it out to me. Yeah. And two, I have to listen. And, what? <laughs> and both of those things have to happen. So one, we got to speak up. Yeah. And two, y'all got to listen. <laughs> Including, yeah. and that's how I've grown, you know. Yeah. Like, um. I asked a friend of mine what tribe she was in. She said she was Native American. It's like, oh, what tribe? Because that's a, it was a, I thought that's what you're supposed to ask. Because I, I always heard that as yeah. just like the, that's, a, there's always the question I would hear other people ask. Right. Oh, I'm Native American. Oh, what tribe? You know, oh, I'm Navajo, you know. And I, I asked my friend this question and as a, just a knee jerk reaction. And she said, actually, I don't like that question. I don't answer it. <laughs> And I was like, yeah. oh. And so ever since then, I don't ask that question yeah. anymore. Because yeah, I'll, I'll, I don't know what I'll say. I'll just be like, oh, interesting, you know, or. Oh, and I think that's part of the, part of the solution here too is, and it's the same thing with the whole cancel culture thing. What also has to be safe, it, it's got to be safe for us to ask stupid, offensive questions because we didn't know. Yeah. And it's okay for you to tell me, actually, that hurts my feelings or that, that's, that's yeah. actually not okay. And then I learned from that. Yeah, <laughs> I well, I won't even go into it because I, I don't want to trigger people. But um, I've learned my lesson a number of times on, on that front in my life. Yeah, and in fact, well, anyway, next email, Sam from South Dakota. Oh, sorry, like, but I'll throw myself under the bus. So I showed up to a club one time many, many years ago. Uh, you know, like a nightclub in Seattle, whatever. I was meeting some people, and I show up, and I say to my friends and whoever's around because I say it loudly what's up my n-word oh my god and what year would this have been uh I was in my 20s a long time ago <laughs> like so it was some U district bars club so in the in the 90s ish yeah definitely 90s yeah but because I had I had a misunderstanding because see I didn't grow up in this country and I actually don't I didn't really know what that word meant. I, I mean, I, I, I knew it was like not great, but I had heard also people using it in songs and in movies and stuff. And I thought because I'm Hispanic, I get to say it. And I remember whoever I was with, like, what are you doing? And I'm like, what? I'm just saying. And they like did that educational moment. Like, dude, you, you can't say that. Like, you shouldn't say that. Was that someone I know? 
I'm pretty sure, yeah. And if I, if it's the right person, I'm thinking. And I learned, and I and I was like, oh, okay. Uh, but but that that's the kind of thing where I you know I could have been canceled. You're ba- banned from this bar. But then I wouldn't have learned. I would have actually been upset or something. Like, oh, how dare they? I just said right. a word and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right, Birdo. Um, well, that does it for that episode. <laughs> I'm failing at the end of this episode. You're failing at, at the end. <laughs> and take care of yourself because... You deserve it. Ah, <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs>